Have you ever wondered about the distinction between an opponent or an enemy? It's more than just semantics. This podcast episode dives into this intriguing concept, shedding light on how it can shape our interactions. Discover how this shift in perspective can lead to more constructive and harmonious relationships, even with those holding different views. Come on in. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Are you a boy mom or do you know a mom of boys who could use some encouragement? Life in the Estrogen-Free Zone is a delightful book of laughter, love, and godly advice from moms who proudly navigate the wild terrain of raising boys. In this heartwarming collection, I join 18 other moms of boys to share our unique experiences, offering a refreshing perspective on the joys and challenges that for some come with being the sole estrogen ambassador in a household full of testosterone. Through amusing anecdotes, relatable tales of mischief, and practical biblical insights, these moms shed light on the roller coaster ride of boyhood. In the pages, mothers share laughter and tears as they recount their hilarious encounters with mud, bugs, and an endless supply of boy energy. Real life strategies for tackling the messiest situations, teaching life lessons with finesse, and finding the beauty in the chaos. A touch of humor and a wealth of heartfelt wisdom from the vibrant world of boy moms. If you're a mom craving a dose of camaraderie, a belly full of laughter, and a reminder that you're rocking this estrogen-free adventure, this book is the perfect companion. Let these humorous and inspiring tales uplift you and remind you to embrace every messy, joy-filled moment. Life in the Estrogen-Free Zone is available wherever books are sold. I sat in my office this morning prepping myself for a day of work as a publisher. As a freelancer, it has a lot of responsibilities, and today included sorting through submissions for a forthcoming Christmas compilation book, processing emails, sending out contracts, editing chapters, writing. As is typical for me, a lot of other random stuff was going through my mind as I was working on things, thinking of things I'd heard on the news or on a podcast terminology that stuck with me from an exchange with someone, a piece of a sermon. My brain is random like that. I stared at the flowers on my desk that I purchased for myself last week, just because, and the little heads of some of the mums now drooped downward a bit. And curiosity ruled. Uh, Again, I said my brain's a little weird sometimes, so I wondered what these little flowers looked like from the bottom looking up. I grabbed my camera and snapped a photo of a droopy blossom, tilting the lens in such a way that I framed the blossom and the ceiling in the shot. It's kind of like looking up the nostril of the bouquet, except it's pretty. (laughs) The answer to my question of what it would look like from underneath was beautiful. 
sometimes we have to look at things from multiple angles. We have to reframe things, see them through a different lens. And by the way, I'll make sure that somewhere on social media, I post those photos that I took of the flowers on my desk when I put this episode out there. When we see something through a different lens, we look through someone else's eye. We have to be willing to get a little awkward sometimes to see the beauty, to see someone else's point of view. And that brought me full circle to my random thoughts. I've covered it on the podcast before, kind of briefly in another episode, but I want to think about these terms again because I keep hearing one of them come up often, and I think people mean something else. The terms are opponent and enemy. I've heard them interchanged in such a way that they're used like synonyms, and I realize that even Merriam-Webster disputes what I'm saying here because it depends on which version of the Merriam-Webster dictionary you look at. So let's think about it as a differing mindset versus an official dictionary definition. So don't write me letters and tell me, well, it says here that it means this. I I know, I've read them all, (laughs) so I want you to humor me. And let's look at the Merriam-Webster collegiate definition um, from the collegiate dictionary, and then we will do a little discussing. Well, I'll do some discussing and you'll listen, and I hope you'll send me something back when I send out um, a message posting this on social media and out to my email list, because I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Did I hit the mark or did I miss the target? So let's look at first opponent. Opponent, according to Merriam-Webster's collegiate dictionary, is someone who takes an opposite position, as in a debate, a contest, or a conflict. A rival, someone who's striving to reach or obtain something that only one can possess. So think about only one team can win the game, only one person can win an election, uh, that kind of thing. So that's an opponent. Now, enemy, again, according to Merriam-Webster, is a person or someone that's antagonistic to another, seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. There's the word opponent again. Something harmful or deadly, a foe, an adversary. Now, according to some definitions, foe could be either one, but let's think about it in terms of what I just read. Seeking to injure, overthrow, something harmful or deadly. Okay, so why am I here today and where are we going? When we think of a life repurposed, part of that includes a mindset of benevolence toward others. When you repurpose your life and you you live for a different reason, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you approach things. So it gives us an ability to make allowances for some differences and agree to love each other, even if we seek a goal that only one can win opponents. Now, when we use a language that makes a simple opponent, and again, think political here or someone with a differing stance on theology or something like that, when we make an opponent into an enemy, it changes how we treat people and the decisions we make. So let's expand on that today and dwell here for a little while. I've brought that up before, but I haven't gone into the depth that I want to go into today. An opponent and an enemy are two distinct terms that describe individuals or entities with whom we have conflicting interests or goals. And while they share similarities, such as being in opposition to someone, they carry different connotations, especially concerning the intent and the level of animosity involved. So let's unpack an opponent a little bit more. I gave you the simple dictionary definition. Let's look a little bit more at what an opponent is. 
An opponent is someone who is in competition or conflict with you, often in a specific context or situation. This could be in sports, politics, debates, or any scenario where there are conflicting objectives. The term opponent does not inherently imply malice or hostility. It simply means that the person or group has differing interests or aims and is actively working against your interests or goals in a particular context. Opponents may be seen as rivals, but they do not necessarily hold a personal animosity toward you. The competition is often based on the circumstances or rules of the situation. That's going to be key when we talk a little bit more about enemies. In many cases, opponents can coexist in a civil and respectful manner, even outside of the specific context of their competition. Historically, we could do some research. I'm not going to put it all out here because I don't want to bore you with a whole bunch of facts, but just a quick search. I found many examples of political opponents that were friends outside of work. They shared vacations and leisure time. Hatred was not part of the equation. There are historic examples of politicians who engaged in lighthearted banter with their opponents, and they socialized outside of the political arena, political arena. Some worked together to bring about change and even received awards together for bringing about that change. Now, obviously, I won't generalize so much that I'm naive as to believe that bitter feuds didn't also exist because they are as old as the beginning of time. I totally understand that. But there are examples we can find of ways that opponents have worked together even while being from different perspectives. Now, when we think about enemy and we unpack that a little bit more, an enemy refers to a person or group or entity that is actively and deliberately hostile toward you. Unlike an opponent, an enemy carries a more intense and often malicious intent. The term enemy implies a deeper level of animosity where there may be a desire to cause harm, inflict damage, or undermine your interests, sometimes even without provocation or a specific context. Enemies are often seen as a threat to our well-being or interests, and there may be a history of conflict or hostility. Dealing with an enemy typically requires a different approach, often involving heightened vigilance, protective measures, even active countermeasures to mitigate potential harm. Enemies are considered more dangerous and generally viewed with greater suspicion or caution than opponents. Now, the main distinction between an opponent and an enemy lies in their intent and the level of hostility involved. An opponent is someone with conflicting interests, like I said, in a specific context, while an enemy is actively hostile and often has a more sinister intent with the potential to cause significant harm or damage. So, when we use the word enemy to speak of someone who is really just an opponent, it brings the level of vitriol so much higher. It brings it outside of a context and into like a whole battle for existence. It just changes it. So when we think of somebody who has a different point of view as an enemy, instead of just saying we disagree on this thing and we can be friends outside of this, our whole life might become centered on undermining that person and actually even going on the attack 
rather than building relationships. Referring to someone as an enemy when they are actually an opponent can have a significant consequence because it introduces a level of hostility and animosity that may not be warranted for that situation. So there are some outcomes of it if we mischaracterize an opponent as an enemy. And I want to look at a few of those. I have six of them. There are more, but these are the things that can happen when in my mind, I think of somebody as an enemy and we're just opponents on something. Number one, it escalates conflict. Labeling someone as an enemy implies this higher level of hostility and animosity, and therefore it can lead to more confrontational and aggressive interactions, which potentially escalates conflicts without needing to be escalated. Number two, it reduces cooperation. If I treat someone as an enemy, it leads to a breakdown in communication and cooperation. It makes it harder to find common ground or work toward mutually beneficial solutions. So it just brings us to a stalemate. Number three, it undermines trust and civility. Using the term enemy erodes trust and civility in a way, especially in a political or a social context, that it creates an atmosphere of suspicion and division. It makes it really hard to engage in constructive dialogue. Everything gets so much messier, so accusatory, so angry when we're thinking about it in terms of an enemy versus an opponent. Number four, it polarizes and divides. Labeling someone as an enemy contributes to a polarized and divisive political and social climate, and it reinforces the us versus them mentality, making it more challenging to find compromises or middle ground solutions. Number five, it diminishes opportunities for collaboration. Treating opponents as enemies may lead to missed opportunities to partner and collaborate to find better solutions. It closes the door on potential areas of agreement or shared interests. Number six, it stifles constructive conversation. When opponents are treated as enemies, it can discourage open and honest dialogue. People may be less likely to voice their opinions or engage in meaningful discussions if they fear being labeled as adversaries. So it immediately shuts down a lot of constructive, constructive interaction that can happen between people. I want to be honest here. I cringe when I hear someone use the term enemy whenever it's a situation that's just a disagreement. Satan and his evil forces are my enemies. People who set out to persecute and kill people are enemies. But listen to this list. These people are not my enemies. People who have different versions of faith, including different denominations or religious sects, are not my enemies. People who vote differently from me or align with different political ideologies, parties, or movements are not my enemies. Scholars and thinkers who have alternative viewpoints are not my enemies. People with different ideas on social injustice are not my enemies. People who subscribe to no religion at all are not my enemies. People with different cultural or ethnic differences are not my enemies. Treating people with whom we disagree as opponents rather than enemies aligns with Christian values, those values of love, empathy, and reconciliation. So here are some ideas from a Christian perspective on how to approach disagreements and how we can change our mindset so that we begin to practice the habit of treating people like opponents and not like enemies. 
Number one, practice active listening. Actively listen to the concerns, perspectives, and feelings of the person with whom you disagree. This shows respect for their humanity and demonstrates a genuine interest in understanding their point of view. Number two, seek common ground. Look for the areas of agreement or shared values and focus on what unites you rather than on what divides you. This can serve as a foundation for productive dialogue about the things that divide you as long as you have this foundation of agreement on shared values. Number three, pray for wisdom and understanding. You can ask God for guidance through prayer, asking for wisdom and discernment on how to navigate disagreements with grace and humility. Those are the hardest things for us to practice sometimes when we're in the middle of something where we see things from a different perspective. And sometimes only God can give me a mindset that takes me out of that fight or flight mode that is just so natural to go into. Number four, show empathy and compassion. Put yourself in another person's shoes and try to understand their experiences and emotions. Showing empathy helps create a sense of connection even amid our differences. And when we focus on the issue at hand rather than on resorting to personal attacks, it ends up enhancing empathy and compassion. When we address the argument and not the person making it, it also helps to maintain respect and civility in our discussions. One of the things that helps me with putting myself in other people's shoes is often reading books about people who see things or books from or about people who see things from a different perspective, listening to podcasts uh, with people who disagree with me, things I don't see the same way, and even watching movies and watching main characters go through something where I haven't experienced that thing, but I'm in their shoes. All of that is like kind of a a pseudo way <laughs> of experiencing something and feeling someone else's feelings. And then when it happens in real life, I can think, oh yeah, I can apply myself to this relationship in a different way because I come at it from a point of wanting to understand them. Number five, respond with grace and kindness. This should be a given when we follow Jesus, but I need the reminders all the time. Responding in a gentle and kind manner, even in the face of disagreement, reflects the teaching of Christ. It avoids harsh words and these aggressive behaviors that are really not part of who Jesus promoted at all. I mean, he actually was Uh, adamantly against people who were harsh and aggressive uh, when he would speak with the Pharisees and and people like that when he was on earth. So um, practicing grace and kindness promotes a spirit of reconciliation. And yes, I understand Jesus turned over tables. I know. I've heard that so often. (laughs) Let's not look at one example of something that was with, um, with the Pharisees as the model for how we treat people, I want to look at the overall picture of who Jesus was and how he acted as our model of grace and kindness. Number six, acknowledge dignity and worth. It's so helpful for me to remember that every person is created in the image of God and every person has inherent dignity and worth. And this helps me to treat them with the same respect and value that God bestowed on them when they were created. And therefore, I, I can't, I'm not dehumanizing people. When we talk about people as enemies, it really does dehumanize. We begin to convince ourselves they're not really people with value and dignity, and therefore I can treat them differently. 
And that's just justifying something. And so when we see people as just a simple opponent, it helps us to remember their dignity and their worth. Number seven, practice forgiveness. If there's been a past conflict, extending forgiveness really helps us to move past keeping a record of wrong. Now, I understand that forgiveness is a really multifaceted thing. It is far too complicated for me to discuss here in one little statement. And I know that, like I said, it's multi-layered. So much comes with that. And how you've been wounded, your own circumstances are not the same as mine. But I'm looking at this in the simplified version of the fact that forgiveness is a cornerstone of Christian teaching and that forgiveness is part of the foundation of reconciliation and healing. And loving, quote, our enemies means looking at people and seeing that maybe there is something there to forgive. Now, I know sometimes on a podcast, everything gets a bit oversimplified when I'm trying to explain something just because there is a lot of nuance to life, isn't there? The last thing, number eight, is to lead by example. We can model Christ-like behavior in our interactions, which then becomes kind of a domino effect for other people. As we live out the teachings of love and forgiveness and reconciliation in our own lives, it influences other people to want to live that way as well. Treating someone as an opponent rather than an enemy does not mean compromising your own values or your beliefs. It simply means approaching disagreements with love and respect and with a commitment to finding common ground whenever possible. Embracing a mindset that distinguishes between an opponent and an enemy is a powerful step toward building bridges of understanding and empathy in our very diverse world. Changing the narrative can open the door to learning from one another, to expanding our horizons and finding common ground in really unexpected places. In moments of disagreement, we also need to remember that genuine understanding can have a profound impact on relationships. It humanizes the people we see as opponents, revealing our shared values, our concerns, our hopes. By striving to see things from someone else's perspective, we invite opportunities for positive change and collaboration. And besides, we act more like Jesus. Think of the phrases that we use by accident when we start to quantify somebody as an enemy. A statement like, I'm against conservatives or I'm against liberals. No, what we really mean is we're against the ideology of one or the other, but we're not enemies of the individuals. Here's another one. Someone might say, I'm against Calvinists. No, you're not really against Calvinists. You're thinking against Calvinism or Calvinistic theology, but the people who practice it are not your enemies. You can disagree with someone's ideology without seeing that person as an enemy. <laughs> it's like the heavens just opened and here we are with a new level of understanding. <laughs> Let's practice approaching our interactions with grace kindness, and an open heart. And let's catch ourselves and pause and choose a different word or gently remind someone else that enemy isn't the word they were looking for there. I've caught myself a few times when I've said something and went, let me rewind a little bit here. I actually mean opponent. I don't mean enemy. Let's seek out conversations with an eagerness to learn, to challenge assumptions, to foster deeper connections. 
Through this intentional choice, we can contribute to a world that values unity amid diversity, where we grow together, recognizing that more often than not, our opponents are not our enemies, but potential allies in the pursuit of a better future for all. Before we wrap up today, I want to leave you with what I'm putting in my earbuds and what I'm reading, just a summary of a few things. So I want to start out with telling you a little bit about a book I'm reading. It's by Rain Wilson, who you might know for playing Dwight Schrute on The Office. His book is called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. Now, this is not a Christian book, nor does Rain pretend it to be. He talks about his own spiritual journey, and he is a member of the Baha'i faith. And so I want to put that right out there. Um, I have explained before that I often like to read and learn about something or someone else because this builds an awareness for me of what's going on outside of my own church bubble. It really helps me to learn something about what's going on in the world, learn about some other person, learn about their journey. And really, even though we disagree on beliefs, I can land at a place where I feel like I understand somebody better. And by learning from a book like this, I can also understand people I might meet in real life better. So Wilson explains why he's not an atheist, even after all the searching he's done in life, and why he has come back to believing there is a God, or as he describes it, a higher being. He has all these different terms for how he refers to God. And even while I disagree with many, a lot of Wilson's beliefs, I can see how he also affirms some of the same things I believe and how he gives a really good um, example of how he landed on his conclusions. So it's really an avenue to dialogue, that's all. There's always someone, something that I can learn from someone else. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes. If you're a curious person too, I always want to stay curious. Again, I don't only read things that align with my own Christian beliefs. I also want to tell you about a couple of new releases that I've had an opportunity to be part of as a freelancer. So I do editing, I do cover design, interior layout for other authors, other publishers. And so I want to tell you about two books that I recently had the opportunity to both design and help those authors get those put out um, with their publishing companies. And so the first one that I wanted to tell you about is called The Grin Gale's Guide to Peace, a story, study, and step seven-week Bible study. This is a new Bible study book from my friend Kathy Carlton Willis. And Kathy is an author, a speaker. She has a whole bunch of books in this Gringales line of books. Um, she, Her tagline or her title is God's Gringale. Kathy has learned how to keep on grinning amid some challenges in life. And in this book, she talks about how she has learned to soak in God's peace during many trials and waiting rooms in her life. And it didn't come naturally to her. She says it still doesn't, but she now knows how to access this peace. Kathy is beginning to recognize warning signs when her peace supply runs low and she can fill it back up at her when her peace tank is on empty. So she's sharing these principles in the Gringale's Guide to Peace in a Bible study format. You can read a little story from Kathy. So each chapter starts with real life stories and observations, humorous confessions, and her transparent honesty. And then there's a 
piece word study and some workbook places where you can fill that out and explore the Bible, see what the Bible says, unpack timely truths. Then there is some action steps there that help you live a peace-filled life. And um, she gives you a little peace challenge as you go with peace and kind of a sample scenario for you to solve there at the end. And so this can be done with a group. It can be done on your own. There's a little leader's guide section in the back. So I will link to the Gringale's Guide to Peace in the show notes. And then the other one that I want to leave you with is one that just released like yesterday as I'm recording this. So it's within the week of when this broadcast airs, this book just came out. It's called Notes to Self, a 90-day devotional and prayer journal for women. This one is by my friends Colleen Lucarello and Christine Garrett. And they actually took note cards that were written by their friend Cindy Shipley-Blasky. And um, Cindy has since passed away and they wanted to figure out a way of memorializing Cindy because she wrote notes to herself on cards everywhere. And she, uh, like her daughter has them and um, there's hundreds of them. So Chrissy and Colleen decided to take 90 of those sayings and put those in there. Some of them, we um, even placed some scans of Cindy's handwritten cards, but most of them, just the words are there. So there's the quote that they found on one of Cindy's cards, and then there's a Bible verse that goes with it, and then a little devotional thought. Now, Chrissy and Colleen are um, the leaders of a ministry for women called Activate Her. I'll link to all this in the show notes so you can find it. But they um, have taken this and grouped these cards into topics of um, let's see, trust, obedience, generosity, forgiveness, mercy, discipline, spiritual growth, relationships, faith, humility, strength, gratitude, and peace. And then there's a spot with each of these after their devotional thoughts are there. There's a whole page for you to write your own notes to self. And so it's a prayer journal, but a devotional kind of a activity. You can just do this daily. You can, it doesn't take that much time to read the card, the note from Cindy one of her notes to self, read that short scripture, read the little, very short devotional, and then write your own note to self. So if you're looking for a new book for you to work on in your daily devotions, this is a great place to start. So notes to self, a 90-day devotional and prayer journal for women. All right, those will be in the show notes at michellerayburn.com slash 173. So I always have that there for you uh, and any other resources that go with the episode. I have a special feature coming for the next few episodes. I'm working on a Christmas book that's releasing, and I just need to really pour myself into that. And I also have been wanting to bring you some recordings of sessions I did while speaking for a women's retreat. And I actually put a little microphone on and hit the record on my phone and then tucked my phone in my pocket while I was speaking for the four sessions. And so I have this audio I recorded, and I thought about sending it just to my Patreon um, supporters through Life Repurpose Plus, but I decided I would put that out for everybody and then come up with a different bonus to give just to Patreon. So I am going to be putting out the sessions from that women's fall retreat that I recently did. And so you'll get to listen in on the audio that of that, and I'll give you a worksheet to go with each one. 
So speaking of worksheets for this week, I have one to help you think through and apply the content related to thinking about opponents or enemies. That will go out to my mailing list once. So if you're on it, you already are going to get that printable. If not, sign up quick before I send out that email later today. And after it's in the, you know, after it goes out to my mailing list and it stays in the library that's available to Life Repurpose Plus subscribers. And that subscription only costs like around $2 a week. So it's just a really easy way for you to say thanks to me for creating content and to support the show and help me with production costs and stuff like that. So if you missed those and you're like, oh, I really want the discussion guides and all the whatever freebies you're giving out, um, those all exist in that library for Life Repurposed Plus subscribers. So again, broken record here, but I will link in the show notes. You will find that at michellerayburn.com. Every episode has its own blog post there with links to everything I talk about in the episodes. All right, it is time for us to wrap up. I hope you have a great week. Love your enemies and opponents and all the people in between. All right, you have a good week. Bye. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 